Forum with your host, Seema Vasa. Our program is designed to bring you business tips and success stories directly from the people who are making it happen. If you could use a little motivation and a lot of ideas to help you and your company move forward, stick around for the next hour. Now, here is Seema Vasa. Welcome to the forum. I am Seema Vasa, your host. So excited to be here. As many of you know, the forum is a place for business leaders to share their real perspectives, the good, the bad, the ugly, but they're all based on real experiences. So it's a place for us to learn and grow from. Today's topic is capital, the ins and outs of raising capital. And we have a wonderful guest today. I'm very excited to have her on, Lisa Van Kristeren. She's the founder and CEO of C-Level HX and has over 25 years of experience in her industry. Lisa founded the company in 2008 as a niche player in the mystery shopping, shopping space. Soon after, she raised capital and ultimately acquired two of her competitors. Prior to founding her company, Lisa was the senior vice president at a large research agency named TNS North America. Welcome, Lisa. Thank you, Seema. I'm, uh, I'm really excited to be here. We've had some, some great lively conversations on our own, so I'm looking forward to yet another. That's fantastic. So am I. Lisa, I have to ask, starting a company in 2008, when you probably had a wonderfully secure job, a steady paycheck, you, and 2008 was probably one of the harder, harder economic times in our country, what really inspired you to kind of jump ship and start a company around that time? Uh, funny, I should have actually expected that question out of the gate because everybody <laughs> hears 2008 and says, what the heck? Um, so if I had known what uh, at the beginning of 2008 what I knew at the end, uh, I might yes. not have, to be honest. But um, having not known exactly that, what, what inspired me was actually more about my personal life than my professional life. So, and I think that this is probably um, not uncommon. I just think people maybe talk about it less. But I, sure. at the time, was supporting about 120 salespeople when I worked at TNS, uh, running their mystery shopping division. And I did not want to travel as much as I was traveling. I had recently adopted three children um, just within the space of about a year and a half of each other as a single mom. And I was tired of traveling. I wanted to be able to put them on the bus, get them off of the bus, you know, be close to them and, and actually raise them since that, that was the, the whole reason that I did it. So I decided that uh, I would leave TNS. Um, and at the time, I didn't leave TNS with the specific intention of starting another mystery shopping company. I just, I left because I thought that that was the right thing for me to do personally. And then towards the end of the year, as it turned out, um, after my kids went back to school, I thought, ah, I've done this a couple of times before. I can do this again. Uh, so I thought I would that's give a, it a shot. That's amazing. So you didn't leave the, the TNS job because you were going to, you didn't have necessarily the vision of saying, okay, I'm going to go start this other company. It was really a personal choice to say, I want to spend time with my children and you would then figure it out. Is, is that? Yeah. Is that? Yeah. Yeah. That's, yes. that's pretty, that's brave. That's very cool. Or crazy, today, <laughs> and then depending on who, on who you're talking to, for sure. Yes. Yeah. So, so, yeah. so then, when you started the company, how did you fund it? How did the whole company come together in, in its in its when it was in its infancy? So, I actually funded it out of a home equity line of credit. 
Um, I wow. had some some funds available, and I pulled them out, and I okay. started making phone calls. Uh, when I was at TNS, as I mentioned, I had all of these sales representatives that I supported. So when any of their clients had um, a need for mystery shopping, it was me who wrote the proposal, did the bid, worked with the sales reps, um, gave the presentation, etc. So they all knew my name. Um, I started making calls to them, and some of them were still there. Some of them had moved on, and they told two friends, and they told two friends type thing. So I sure. started it out um, as, as being sort of the back-end, third-party mystery shopping arm to any research company that needed to have a mystery shopping project done. Great. And was it? did you start the company yourself? Were you solo initially, and then you later on hired employees? Yes, exactly. I started out solo, and I was solo. That was 2008, very end of 2008. And then 2009, 10, 11 grew to maybe three or four employees uh, over the course of time. Wow. Wow. And, and, and tell me, I, I know the, the question about raising capital, there's so many do's and don'ts or ins and outs to consider. When, when did you start thinking about raising outside financing to, to scale your business? I started thinking about it in 2012. So we had grown fairly considerably um, given where we started at sure. that point in time. And, and it was largely driven by fear. Um, <laughs> my belief is, is that you either grow or you die um, as a business, as an industry, whatever it is, you, you're either disrupted or you contracts go away, funding is lost, um, things move around. So I had enough experience to know that you either grow or you die, and I didn't want to die. So, you know, if somebody could say, hey, I guarantee you this amount of work for the rest of your life, um, the decision might have been different. But um, given that nobody ever knows that, I thought I need to expand. And and what is the smartest way to go about doing that? And so that's when I decided to raise money and buy two of my competitors. It's a highly, highly fragmented industry, and there's opportunity um, to do exactly that. And the, the idea had been bandied about for 10 or 15 years by a number of different people. Um, I just actually decided to go do it. That's great. Actually, do that's fantastic. I, I, you know, I equate that that kind of place that you describe in either, you know, either you're going to die or be disruptive, that space mm-hmm. equivalent to, to the tennis court of being in no man's land, um, not mm-hmm. being very defined. And ultimately in tennis, you don't win the point typically when you're in that spot anyway. Um, exactly. but, so, so I can totally understand what you're saying there. And, and was there ever a doubt? Like, did you ever, did you ever think, well, you know, if I don't raise capital, there could be a possibility or were you a hundred percent sure that you needed to raise capital to either to, to continue to grow and evolve was, or was there a little bit of doubt? So I can, uh, I'm pretty much sure that I've never been a hundred percent sure about anything. Right. So that's, that's an easy <laughs> answer. Um, yes, there was definitely doubt, and I knew, and I still know that there are a number of different ways to go about just about anything. So you sure. can obviously grow organically, or you can buy those seem like two pretty bifurcated options. They're not. You can certainly do both at the same time. Um, but what I was looking for, and what I found very difficult to break into, was that I wanted to get to some end clients. So as I mentioned, I had started as a third party arm to other research companies, which meant that research companies were largely my client base. And I wanted to start to also get to some end clients because I think that is where you stay 
you're able to stay the most relevant in the industry, find out the trends, find out what the problems are that are going on that need to be solved. And I really wanted to get more to the end clients, and that seemed to be very difficult to do. That, that makes perfect sense. So once you decided uh, uh, that you wanted to raise capital, what were some of the things that you factored in to your thinking as you sought investors for your business? So the things that I factored in were um, which type of companies I wanted to buy, who their client base was, um, because mm-hmm. I was pretty specific that I wanted end clients. Um, I wanted some sort of saturation in a couple of industries to get some depth. Okay. Um, so that sort of narrowed the field as far as who I was looking at for the acquisitions. And then as far as what I wanted, um, I very specifically did not want to sign a personal guarantee. Um, okay. that I wasn't, of course, sure that it was going to work as everybody is, but I looked yes. around and saw that as sure as everybody always is, there are factors that you simply can't take into account. And gotcha. for me, as, as a single mom... Um, with three kids, I thought mm, that probably just wouldn't be the best way for me to go. So um, that steered me in a direction that, that had fewer options, but was a direction that I was much more comfortable with. Yeah, that's pretty bold. I know that a lot of investors look at that as the entrepreneur, entrepreneur not putting skin in the game or not necessarily believing in their business mm-hmm. 100%. Did you run into that? I did, um, yes. With, with the variety of companies that I interviewed and interviewed for, because I think it's sort of a two-way street there, sure. yes, certainly there were questions along those lines. Uh, and my answers were very similar to the ones that I just, um, that I just shared. Right. I know what I can control, and I know what I can't control, and I know that there are things that I can't control. And so um, here's what I've decided, and here's why I've decided it. And by the way, for the last five years, I have successfully run it and built it as I've done for the company before that and the company before that. So to me, it wasn't a matter of not being able to do it. Um, and laying that out seemed to, you know, have the, have the right effect. Sure. And did you have background in finance uh, to, to navigate these conversations and be able to None. sit at the table and talk to these, talk to investors? None. No, not at all. I am actually, one of the things I do pretty well is tell you what I don't do well. I have a whole list of things. Um, <laughs> and if anybody ever wants to know, I just hold up the list. There um, it is. I hired an M&A company. Yeah. Okay. I hired an M&A company to, to kind of steer me through those waters. That's fantastic. That's good. I, I think a lot, of, a lot of this process, it sounds like you really did know what you wanted and, and what you didn't want, which makes the process feel uh, a little bit more easier to navigate instead of evaluating different options that are put in front of you? I think it is. I think that the key to that is hiring good advisors. Um, the M&A company, um, trusting them, under working to understand what it is that they're telling you, um, even if they're terms that you're not necessarily comfortable with, getting comfortable with them, asking questions uh, so that you know exactly what it is that's going on and what you are getting and what you're giving on all of those points. Uh, did so you interview me, that, a lot of companies, Lisa? I'm sorry. I did. I did. I inter- well, a lot. I want to say six. I interviewed that's, maybe six M&A companies. Yes. That's, that's quite thorough. And, and I would imagine when you, when you boiled it down to selecting one company, what was it? Can you give listeners a, a time frame that it took you to do that? It took, I want to say three months. 
Um, If I look back, it took about three months. It took a good bit of time because you have to set up meetings and there's a lot of information they're looking for and there's a lot of information that I was looking for. Um, But some of what I was looking for was also sort of um, touchy-feely stuff. Um, Do I trust them? Do I think they're shooting straight? If I ask them a question I already know the answer to, are they going to tell me the bad news or are they going to sugarcoat it? Because I would prefer to have the bad news. Sure. So, you know, I I could pose a question to them knowing that it's not a good idea and are they actually going to tell me it's not a good idea? Um, You know, some of those things can be determining factors for me as well because I want the real lay of the land. Um, I don't want someone to just be a yes person that comes along for the ride. Totally makes sense. So, Lisa, we're going we're gonna to pause for a moment. Ne- after commercial break, can't wait to hear from you. Actually, after you raised the money, what were the next steps? And wh- what was your story thereafter? So stay tuned till after the commercial break, and we'll hear from Lisa what happened next. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Don't fly blind. Blink Insights provides valuable research to support more informed business decisions. We have walked in our clients' shoes and understand their challenges. We will work with you to understand your information needs and deliver actionable results through innovative and cost-effective solutions. Blink Insights will partner with you to help you make strategic decisions about your brand and better improve your positioning, your product and service development roadmaps, and your delivery to customers. We work with a variety of clients. Call us today at 516-494-0077 or visit blink-insights.com. Are you a business leader or executive that wants to achieve more? Not just in it for profit, but to do work you find meaningful that adds more value to more people in more ways. Listen for the Business Elevation Show with host Chris Cooper. You'll hear from successful achievers from around the world with the passion and experience to offer invaluable guidance. The Business Elevation Show can be heard live on Fridays at 8 a.m. U.S. Pacific Time, usually 4 p.m. U.K., on the Voice America Business Channel. Be more. Achieve more. Starting, building, and growing a company is hard in itself. Doing it on your own is even harder. You need a partner on your side who can help. Infinity Squared Ventures works with you to understand your goals and design options that can help you accelerate your business. We have creative ways of working together that allow business leaders to still realize their visions. Visit infinity-2.com and let Infinity Squared Ventures get started with your company. That's infinity-2.com or call 516-591-0270. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You are listening to The Forum with Seema Vasa. To talk to Seema or her guest this week, please call 1-866-472-5790. Again, that's 1-866-472-5790. You may also send an email to info at infinity-2.com. Now back to the program. And we are back. 
I am talking to our guest, my guest, Lisa Van Kerstren. She is the CEO and founder of C-Level HX. She is talking to us about her story of raising capital and ultimately uh, buying two of her competitors in the industry. Lisa, thank you for joining us. My pleasure. Uh, Lisa, you were sharing uh, sharing with us how you decided to go about raising capital, why you decided to raise capital. Uh, you, you you hired a an advisor to kind of navigate the discussions with investors. Can you share a little bit about the the requirement or kind of yeah the requirement that investors needed to be able to make the decision to invest in your business? And was it were there any surprises there? So, uh, given my lack of a background in finance, almost all of it was new to me. Um, okay. So, a surprise, yes, I would say. Um, part of what was interesting to me were was the level of detail we went into with the financial projections. And I know that that sounds kind of silly because, of course, that's what's most interesting um, to investors and to finance people. But to me, I had always looked at it as an opportunity. Uh, it's obvious. Come on. You know, here's how it works. Here's what it does. Here's what it's been. Here's what it could be. Um, so to sit down and put all of the numbers to that and, and the assumptions, um, and again, you do that every year in a business plan, but the, the level of detail here with the, um, with the various financial statements was um, very in-depth and frankly quite tedious. I think I'm glad I didn't go into finance. <laughs> um, so what, yeah. what they were looking for was a lot of history. Um, they were mm-hmm. looking for experience, my experience specifically. Um, had I just come into the industry, did I have a lot of contacts and my, my track record because I'd been in the industry for about 20 years mattered to them a lot. Sure. Uh, and interestingly, meeting me um, was very high on their list of things that they had to do because they wanted to have a level of confidence in the person that they were um, you know, putting the money up for. That, that makes sense. And I'm sure you wanted to meet the people that were going to put the money into your company. Oh, absolutely. It was, um, it was, uh, would not, certainly would not have skipped that step. I called it my, my mini shark tank session, my own personal yeah. shark tank <laughs> experience. Um, and I, I did watch that show quite a bit and still do, as a matter of fact. I know why they're asking that. I know what they're looking for. <laughs> it's kind of fun. And, and, and when you went down, when you went down the pitch road and, uh, you know, I'm sure there was, some rejections possibly, and there were multiple offers. Can you give us an idea if, you know, what, what did that look like for you or what was the process that you went through to ultimately get to the final selection of an investor? So we, we looked at obviously a lot of different investors. We ended up narrowing it down to six companies and I interviewed all six with all six of those companies and, and vice versa again. And I got an LOI from five of them. Um, wow, so that's did, fantastic. Yeah, we did have multiple choices uh, and multiple offers, um, which I didn't expect, and neither did my advisors, in fact. Um, so okay. that, was, that was kind of a nice surprise. And, and, and from the five, you narrowed it down uh, further. How did you make that selection process, or was there a lot of you know, soul searching or was it pretty clear from your perspective who you're going to select? You know, it, interestingly, it was very clear um, and it was okay. very clear because of um, the, the connection, because of the 
the people that I interacted with at, at right. the company that I ultimately chose. There was just a level of understanding of business that yep. I didn't see in all of the other companies. Um, so there was a click and there was a connection that okay. jumped out at me immediately. That's great. That's fantastic. Yep. It makes a world of difference in terms of, because obviously you have to continue to communicate and have a relationship mm-hmm. with, with the group. And so that's obviously so important. Yeah, for me, I really wanted, um, I wanted to work with somebody who understood what it was like to run a business. And I think right. that not all of the private equity companies out there have people like that on board. And I, I could be wrong. Maybe I just didn't meet with any of them. Sure. <laughs> but yeah. it's, um, I, the people that knew how a business ran, you could sort of tell from the questions they asked and the way they responded to answers, um, whether right. they really understood it or not. And that, for me, was very important because um, I knew that I didn't have the ability to meet them on the financial finance ground that they had. So I needed, I could come part way, but I needed somebody else to come part way as well. And that's worked out very well. Yeah, I think, you know, it's a misnomer that people have that, you know, it's not just about the money. It's about who you're dealing with on a regular basis because it's a, it's a long-term relationship and that chemistry has to be there. Otherwise, it, it, it proves to be awkward um, and somewhat difficult Absolutely. if there's not a common understanding of, you know, how to run the business, the metrics of the business, um, assumptions related to that. So you make a really good point. Uh, I I definitely liken the relationship with investors to, you know, even business partners because it's a long-term relationship. Yeah, I I completely agree. It It was quite important to me as well. So after you got the money, well, let me ask you one point of clarification. You raised the money to actually acquire your competitors. Is that is that correct? Or did correct. you decide yeah. after you raised? Okay. All right. I raised, so I actually raised an amount of money, um, and I used part of it to acquire two competitors. I actually sold gotcha. some dry powder left um, that okay. I haven't done anything with yet. Um, but it was... Specifically, I had already identified two competitors, um, and then, you know, we we had talked about continuing to look. Now, I know from personal experience, to get to a term sheet to acquire a company, or LOI, is is hard. It's difficult because both parties have to be interested. The price has to be right, and all the other terms and nuances have to be aligned. When, when you identified these two competitors, were they already in the market to be purchased or did you kind of introduce the idea to them? I actually introduced the idea to them. They were not in the market. Um, okay. For one, they probably would have been in the market within the next couple of years um, just from right. a timing perspective, but they weren't at the moment and it was a little bit earlier than they wanted to sell, but they, um, when they heard it was my company acquiring it made them happy because they they knew me um, and they'd known me for a long time and they felt that their company would be handled well in my hands. Um, so there was a bit of a personal connection there um, with one of the companies we narrowed it down to. And with the other one, um, he had been thinking about selling, but he hadn't made any um, any moves on his own quite yet. Okay. And and during the during the acquisition, kind of the the conversation back and forth, were there assumptions about which talent you'd keep, which talent was redundant, or was that post acquisition time? It actually was pre acquisition. Uh, we did talk about all of that, and 
because the mystery shopping company or mystery shopping industry is so fragmented, a lot of the companies are fairly small. And so there are not a lot of layers of management. Right. Um, so it was fairly easy to be able to identify um, what we needed to continue managing the same clients and the same amount of revenue and the same amount of work that was going to go through the shop each month. Uh, it was pretty sure. clear. Okay. And and looking back, do you think that the personal relationship really drove the success of these acquisitions? I mean, we'll talk about integration in a moment, but just getting two companies to be bought, uh, you know, it, 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 there's so much emotion in that process outside of just basic facts and, and figures. It, was it really the personal reputation that you had that kind of pushed, led people to say yes? Yes. I think from their point of view, and this is based on what they told me, not my speculation. So I don't want to sound like I'm like patting myself on the back. Of course, no problem. um, It it did make them consider it in a different way because they had been approached before, you know, in other times by other companies. Um, So for them, it made a difference. Um, And I understand why, because there is a trust factor when you build a company and that company is your baby and you care a lot about everybody that works for you, you want to be really careful about who you turn that over to. So for them, it mattered a lot. I think for me, it mattered less, which is not to say that it didn't matter, but I knew what I was going to do with it next, Um, you know, the build. And so it was a bit less of a, a factor for me, but certainly a factor for them. And and where the clients, how did how did your clients react to the acquisitions? So our um, legacy, my company, um, right. clients didn't have much of a reaction at all because it, it they probably didn't even really notice it beyond the press release. Quite honestly, okay. um, their clients, for the most part, uh, it was a fairly seamless transition in some ways because we kept all the people, right, um, except for the principals, and so the same points of contact same technology system. We didn't really change much of anything. Um, so I'm not sure that the clients, uh, there were some ripples, don't get me wrong, right. there were some ripples right. for sure, but not a lot. No, not as many as I expected um, from the clients. They were, that, they were pretty that, comfortable with it. That's great because sometimes, you know, people consider consolidation as potential impact on price or, sure. you know, larger, larger company footprint, maybe less service. But it sounds like the, the clients were not necessarily shocked or, or, you know, it did not, it did not impact you negative, negatively. It did not impact us. No, from a client perspective, um, they were not happy that their, um, their, their points of contact, their, their uh, let's see, their... Their day-to-day probably didn't change. Yeah, their day-to-day people, the original owners were gone because they loved them. It was a very right. well-run company, great relationships, had been around for a long time, fabulous reputations, um, both of them. And so they weren't happy necessarily to lose those principles because um, they were moving on to the next thing, but that didn't mean that they were unhappy um, about being about the acquisition itself. So we were very fortunate in that way. And it was one of the reasons that we picked the companies that we picked was because they did have that great reputation, um, right. both of them, um, and were, you know, premier in their space, and that mattered to us. That's fantastic. I think, uh, Lisa, uh, we, we definitely want to get more into, uh, in the next segment, I'd love to hear more about 
looking back, if you had other tips or lessons that you might share for entrepreneurs who are considering doing some, something like this in the future, love to get your perspective when we come back from the commercial break. Great. Sounds good. All right. Thank you. Think you've seen everything there is to see in online television? Let us surprise you. Visit voiceamerica.tv today for sports, health, business, and more on demand 24-7. Starting, building, and growing a company is hard in itself. Doing it on your own is even harder. You need a partner on your side who can help. Infinity Squared Ventures works with you to understand your goals and design options that can help you accelerate your business. We have creative ways of working together that allow business leaders to still realize their visions. Visit infinity-2.com and let Infinity Squared Ventures get started with your company. That's infinity-2.com or call 516-591-0270. You have a message. You want to share that message. You want it to be social, to go viral and spread across the planet. But how do you get started? Tune into Amplify, featuring host Ken Roshan. This show is here to help you take that message and channel it through the most effective marketing techniques to not only be successful, but have a positive impact on the world. Tune in live every Tuesday at 5 p.m. Eastern Time, 2 p.m. Pacific, on the Voice America Business Channel, and get Amplified. Don't fly blind. Blink Insights provides valuable research to support more informed business decisions. We have walked in our clients' shoes and understand their challenges. We will work with you to understand your information needs and deliver actionable results through innovative and cost-effective solutions. Blink Insights will partner with you to help you make strategic decisions about your brand and better improve your positioning, your product and service development roadmaps, and your delivery to customers. We work with a variety of clients. Call us today at 516-494-0077 or visit blink-insights.com. We're always talking business. Talk to an expert. Call now. Toll free. 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. Listening to The Forum with Seema Vasa. To talk to Seema or her guest this week, please call 1 866 472 5790. Again, that's 1 866 472 5790. You may also send an email to info at infinity 2.com. Now back to the program. Welcome back. I am here with Lisa Van Kersteren, founder and CEO of C-Level HX. Lisa is sharing her story and perspectives on raising capital, growing her company, and ultimately buying two of her competitors. She shared with us a little bit about how she decided to, why she decided to raise capital. And, and now we want to talk a little bit more about, you know, what, what, lessons, Lisa, would you say you learned over this process? Is it something or what would you have done differently? And, and I know that's a difficult question because you're still in it, quite frankly, but mm-hmm. you know, 
<laughs> in phases. If you look at you know yeah. up till now, could you could you share your perspective in terms of things that you would have done differently or lessons that you learned? Yeah, absolutely. I'm happy to share them. Um, sometimes they seem to change daily. Um, so here's, I think my first thought is, what would I do differently? Yes. I, knowing what I know now, there are things that I would have done differently, but knowing what I knew then, there aren't things that I would have done differently. So that's always one of those difficult questions, right? Sure. And I also don't know where, where the other path would have taken us because again, you grow or you die. So you right. can pick path A or path B or path C. And they all come with pros and cons, and they all come with positives and negatives, and there's things you have to figure out down each of those paths. So um, what would I have done differently? Uh, I think that I would have talked more to very specific entrepreneurs that had done very close to exactly the same thing that I did. Um, And don't get me wrong, I got advice from a lot of people. I talked to a lot of people, but a lot of it was third-party advice. It wasn't talking to a person in a room with a closed door that said, are you sure? <laughs> you know, don't, don't forget and be sure to look for this and, you know, X, Y, Z could happen. So I probably would have done more one-on-ones with people who had had that experience. Who kind of went through that same similar process and, and could yeah. be able to do something similar to what you're doing now and kind of talking about lessons learned. Exactly. Okay, yeah, exactly. that's great. Mm-hmm. And and I think I think also Lisa, correct me if I'm wrong. I mean, you and I found each other through LinkedIn, so you were already networking a lot and meeting people and talking to people. Mm-hmm. It, I, I'm sure you, I'm sure you talked to a lot of people, but from your perspective, you felt like you wanted to find specifically the the people who went through very very close to similar experiences that you went through at the time. Mm-hmm. Yes, because at the time, so this was uh, four years ago, three years ago, um, uh, my my peers, I didn't have the same peers. So now I belong to advisory councils, groups, entrepreneurs, organization um, here in Atlanta, and I have peers who I, if I had known them then, I could have had these conversations. But I hadn't networked with this particular group of people that had had the same experiences yet. And so I didn't know what I didn't know. Gotcha. Yeah, that makes perfect sense. And, and I think over time, I don't know, I, at least I found that even as you go through building the business and, and you hit these challenges, the power of that network is so important too. Um, even it even is. today, it, it, to get objective advice, to kind of call you out on stuff that doesn't make sense, it, it's very mm-hmm. powerful. It is. It is as far as uh, intellectually, um, it is as far as resource. Hey, have you ever, you know, used a company that's done social media before? Or do you know somebody that has a part-time CFO, for instance? Um, To have these colleagues that have been through similar things. And it is sometimes also just to have somebody to sit down and say, phew, it's a lot of hard work um, being the CEO, being in charge of everything. It's a pretty lonely place. Yes, it is. Um, in a company. So having that group of people that you can talk to uh, becomes very, much more important even after, after the fact. And you mentioned to me at the break, Lisa, that you, you do have a business, you have business partners in this process as well. Uh, when did you bring them on board and, and what was that trigger point in saying, okay, it's now time to add a business partner to the, to the formula? 
Yeah. So um, my my primary business partner comes from the finance private equity world. And fairly shortly after the acquisitions, which were both of them happened pretty close together towards the end of 2014. um, And the package that was required for financial reporting very quickly began to overwhelm me. Um, oh my goodness, you know, I'm trying to integrate. We just swallowed a company that's three times the size of ours. I've got all sorts of people things going on, culture things, business things, client things, financial things. Um, and the one that I really was not equipped to handle was the financial one, um, simply because there's so much specific knowledge about accounting and, you know, finance. Right. So I reached out uh, and started looking around to bring in a partner um, to be in charge of the finances. And I had decided to give him part of the company because I really wanted someone to be as vested in it as I was and to make decisions as an owner. Because sometimes if, if you're you don't have somebody who's a partner, they're not making decisions in the same way through the same lens. And I wanted our, our goals and objectives to be aligned. Um, and I also, for me, it's never really been about owning a business and being the person in charge specifically. So for me, giving up some equity was a no-brainer. Um, there was it, there are so many wins and, and really nothing to lose except you know, a little bit of equity, not a little bit, sure. uh, you know, equity, which yes. never bothered me. Right. And and did you did you know the person prior, or was this kind of a relationship or through your network that you found your business partner? So the person that I brought in actually was one of the M and A advisors. Worked for the company that I used to make the acquisitions. Oh, After great! The acquisitions, we, yeah, we kind of parted parted ways. I wouldn't say we still kept in touch, but he went to work um, somewhere else. Um, but we stayed connected. And so about six months later, I reached out um, and had a conversation with him because I, I knew I absolutely trusted him um, and I knew what he knew and I knew that he already knew about the industry and the business. Um, so there's a, just a functional lack of learning curve there that was helpful, but mostly because I really trusted him um, yeah. and, and brought him into the business. And that's been absolutely fantastic. I've heard stories um, from people that... Um, that those partnerships can be difficult. Um, like any relationship, you know, it can go well, it can not go well. I've been incredibly lucky, incredibly fortunate in that regard because um, he's been a great partner. So we have not had a rocky road um, with regard to having the same motivations, having the same goals. Uh, but we, we did talk through a lot of things before uh, we made the agreement. Uh, sure. So I think that helped as well. That's wise. And, I, and it sounds like you, you, you knew the skills that you needed to have to complement what you already brought to the table. So there wasn't a ton of overlap. There was, there was a real focus in terms of what was, what was required and and the things that you were going to focus on versus the thing your business partner was going to focus on. Exactly. Exactly. And and I would bring our attention back to this list of things that I know I'm not good at. (laughs) Very self-aware. That helps. Yeah, um, yeah, and you know what? It, it's fantastic because if you have people who are smarter than you and in the ways where you need them to be smarter than you, everybody wins. Absolutely. And when you when you now talking about the management of the investors, obviously you got the money, you bought the you bought the companies. What's what's kind of the management of your investors look like for people who don't know what that what that feels like? Is, is it? overwhelming? Is it reporting every day? Is it reporting every month? You know, can you give us a flavor of what that feels like and looks like? 
sure. Um, and I, I know that it's different for every situation, every every investor and every company that is invested in. Yes. So um, ours is, ours started out being mon- a monthly financial package. Um, okay. Cash flow balance sheet, et cetera, um, projections. But the the cash flow in this particular business is, uh, has wicked highs and wicked lows. Right. And we ended up um, reporting weekly because we needed it and because also they wanted it, but we also at the same time recognized the need to have it ourselves. So we built a package where, you know, the information kind of flows through all the sheets that you need it to flow through. And we okay. report on it now on a weekly basis um, and then also on a monthly basis, um, sort of a wrap-up of the previous month. Um, our investors are actually fairly quiet um, they're fairly quiet, I think, because we share information with them without being asked. We right. treat them like a partner, and we tell mm-hmm. them the things we think they should know, even when they haven't asked. And I think that's one of the reasons um, that they're fairly quiet. Uh, because we that's tell great them before, advice. Yeah, they need to know about it. Right. And that's how and I would want to be treated if it was my money. Sure. Yeah, no, it's perfect. It's great advice. Are there expectations in terms of what their returns are going to be, uh, you know, over time in terms of, you know, your 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 trajectory uh, in terms of an exit? Um, there ex- there's not a specific expectation for a specific timeline. There are absolutely metrics, um, covenants, if you will, uh, to meet sure. on a month-to-month basis. Okay. So there are those covenants to meet, and then there's a projected, there are ideas about what could happen down path A versus path B, but there are a number of options on both of those paths as well. So it's, uh, it's a situation that we revisit every few months mm-hmm. and say, hey, what are we going to do if, and what are we going to do if, um, and we don't and won't know the answer probably because it's going to be the confluence of a number of different things. Um, and sure. that, that comes off sounding incredibly vague now that I look back at what I just said, <laughs> but I think the answer is we don't know. Uh, we don't well, know. That's a, We're, that's, that's a good thing because we have multiple options. Right. And it sounds like you have a series of assumptions. There's transparency and there's no kind of yeah. debate back and forth, which also yeah, is exactly. incredibly helpful when you're managing um, investors as well, and also your own company and the people within the company. It, it, you know, that transparency helps a lot. It's absolutely true. Um, I also know that we are very lucky with the capital partner that we have. Um, and again, again, we chose them because we felt that I chose them because I felt that they knew uh, they knew enough about having run a business to be the right people. Um, right. So we happen to have been right about that, which is great. Um, and they weren't the cheapest, uh, and they weren't the necessarily a, a shoe-in for it, but it just felt right for me. Now, what that's translated into is um, that level of trust, uh, that ongoing trust. Right. And I know that they know that we're telling them what's going on, and we know that we'll hear from them when they need something. Um, and when there's information that they want to have. But I also right. know that most companies are not like that. Um, most of the stories I and hear Lisa? about investors, yeah. Yep. You know what? I'm going to, I'm going to, we're going to short, we're going to cut for a short commercial break. We want to continue this okay. conversation and learn more. Sure. And when we come back, love to hear more about uh, being a woman in business. I know that's something near and dear 
to your heart as well as mine and just learning more about your perspectives there. Absolutely. We'll be back. Thank you. Follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. Don't fly blind. Blink Insights provides valuable research to support more informed business decisions. We have walked in our clients' shoes and understand their challenges. We will work with you to understand your information needs and deliver actionable results through innovative and cost-effective solutions. Blink Insights will partner with you to help you make strategic decisions about your brand and better improve your positioning, your product and service development roadmaps, and your delivery to customers. We work with a variety of clients. Call us today at 516-494-0077 or visit blink-insights.com. Are you a business innovator or are you just sitting on the sidelines? Tune in every week for Coffee Break with Game Changers, presented by SAP. Host Bonnie D. Graham talks to a cross-section of the movers and shakers who are leading by example. They will share best practices and innovative ideas to keep you thinking and moving along with the best. Join us for Coffee Break with Game Changers, presented by SAP, Wednesday mornings at 11 a.m. Eastern Time, 8 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Starting, building, and growing a company is hard in itself. Doing it on your own is even harder. You need a partner on your side who can help. Infinity Squared Ventures works with you to understand your goals and design options that can help you accelerate your business. We have creative ways of working together that allow business leaders to still realize their visions. Visit infinity-2.com and let Infinity Squared Ventures get started with your company. That's infinity-2.com or call 516-591-0270. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. are listening to The Forum with Seema Vasa. To talk to Seema or her guest this week, please call 1-866-472-5790. Again, that's 1-866-472-5790. You may also send an email to info at infinity-2.com. Now back to the program. Welcome back. I'm here with Lisa Van Kirsten, the CEO and founder of of C-Level HX. And Lisa has been sharing her story with us, how she founded a company, raised capital, bought two of her competitors. And Lisa, we were just talking about uh, what's next for you. What's on the horizon for you as it relates to you personally and as it relates to your company? So it's, it's a good question. Um, it is something that we revisit pretty regularly, um, myself, you know, at, at home and as well as at work. I think I'm the type of person that's never going to not work. So I I've, I've didn't start the company with an intent to exit. I didn't build the company with an intent to exit. Um, could it happen? Might it happen? Sure. Um, but that's not specifically a goal. What we do do is we've built the company according to the correct practices, procedures, protocols, if you will, 
um, that would make a company saleable and that you should have anyway. And it's because you should have some of that stuff anyway, like keep contracts, keep track of things, good administration, two people signing checks, things like that. Sure. Um, so it might be down the road that there's a sale. Um, it might be down the road that there's not, um, that we simply grow and grow and grow. Uh, we're a pretty niche player in an right. industry that is constantly evolving. So there are a lot of opportunities out there, and um, we've picked some kind of fun directions to work towards. So, you know, it might just be that, more of the same. That sounds exciting. And well, I know that you are emerging into new kind of services as well, not, you know, expanding outside of mystery shopping, your core, your core area, but building or targeting other segments, if you will, to package and, and resell some of your information. Is, is that correct? Yes, it is. Actually, we, we try to stay on the forefront. Um, we're trying to look for the next thing kind of coming down the pike. And, and I'm always looking for a different use application uh, methodology, if you will, for the database of people. We have more than half a million people all across the United States and Canada, and we, um, you know, we can engage them to, to do things for us, um, collect information. So what kind of information? If you step back and look at the big picture, what kind of information could that be? Mystery shopping historically was about compliance and, and whether people were wearing name tags and such, but we're now using it for things like due diligence and, and private equity transactions um, and mergers and acquisitions and, uh, and thinking outside of the box and, and putting together syndicated studies. And so that type of thing to me is really fun. How can you do this better, faster, cheaper, um, and in a more effective way? That, that kind of gets me out of bed in the morning. So yeah. that's fun. Yeah, that, that's the innovation side of trying to create yeah. and build something new um, onto the existing business. That's the stuff that I love to do as well. It, it, keeps, keeps intel- it keeps the creativity and kind of the intellectual part of things taking as well. It does. It does. It's fun. I enjoy it. And I know, Lisa, you, you and I were talking about, uh, you know, women in business and, and hoping to see more and more women in higher ranks uh, throughout our industry as well as other industries. Through this process, did you interact with a lot of women um, through the capital raise and <laughs> process? That's funny. Uh, no, uh, that's, a pre- that's a pretty straightforward and easy no. I actually <laughs> joke with my M&A team, uh, where are the women my yeah. goodness, I'm not even one out of the six companies that I interviewed with, and there were teams of people at the table. It wasn't just one person. For the most part, not a yes. single female. Uh, wow. I, where are the, are the women in finance? It's interesting. Um, it's inter- I'm seeing yeah. more and more people coming coming to the table, funding women, startups, yeah. and also funds that are, are created by women. But I agree with you. There, there's not enough, uh, not nearly close to enough women in the industry. It's a really interesting gap, um, and I think I, I just noticed it at one point, and then it became more and more apparent as I started focusing on it. But in general, there, you know, the number of women CEOs is just—it's not at all large. Um, it's it's insanely small, and I had not given a lot of, of thought to it before. I think before I became a woman CEO, and then found about how many organizations there are that are. Um, they're women-oriented, and I thought, why are we so focused on women? Because I'd never really thought too much about being a female CEO before, but apparently there are so few that organizations are popping up all over the place to try to support women, and I've joined them because I'm all for it. I would like to see you know, more women CEOs. I'd like to see some more diversity uh, at the C-level, frankly. Um, 
And are you it, finding it, more uh, more opportunities to network among m- among women as well as these groups are formed and you know the the opportunity to connect is, is it different or is it is it just another it's just more segmented? It, you know what? It doesn't seem to be very different. Um, it just seems to be maybe a different group of people. Uh, right. It seems that for every organization out there, there's a parallel women's organization. So if you're a woman and you want to network, you go to, end up going to both. You end up going right. to like twice as many networking events, um, which can be a little bit tiring too. It's exhausting. But, yeah, but when you go to the ones um, for, for, for women or for men, the women are usually at both. Um, right. And the men, you know, aren't Obviously, always. Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yes. yeah. So it, 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 that's it, been an interesting experience for me. Again, I, ne- I had never really noticed it or thought about it before, but uh, we need to do something about that, I think. I completely agree with you. I, I think it's encouraging younger women also to continue to mm-hmm. kind of grow and develop and not quit, uh, if you will, in, in terms of exactly. being who they want to be and, and continue, continuing on their path forward. But also yeah, for us absolutely. to connect and, and kind of build a, a safer place or a, an easier place to break into. As yeah. other... Go ahead, sorry. Yeah, I was going to say, no, that's all right. I, I was going to say, I think that the, this could make like an entirely separate segment about, about the reasons for this. But I think there's a lot of things that feed it, um, that there aren't a lot of women, you know, some of it's work-life balance, family work balance, those types of things. Right, um, And it's not that men don't struggle with them. And you're, we're hearing about that more and more, which I think is fantastic. But um, it did, you know, historically has been women that struggle with that more so than men do. Um, and now that that's changing, I think that that might be part of the reason that there are more women, female CEOs emerging. Yes, I, I would completely agree with you. Well, Lisa, thank you so much for joining me today. I certainly learned a lot uh, from your story, and we're so happy that you could share it with us. Uh, Definitely come back to us in the future. We'd love to check in and see what's going on with you in the future. Absolutely. I've enjoyed it, as I knew I would. Thank you for having (laughs) me on the show. No problem. So, listeners today, hopefully you got some good tips from Lisa's story. Obviously, you know, one of the key points is know what you want and know what you don't want. I think that's a really important point versus reacting to what's put in front of you. The relationship with the investor is critical. Uh, it doesn't have to be just about the money, but it's a long-term relationship and making sure that you have that connection outside of just uh, the dollar and cents. And so when you are having a problem and you need to communicate with your investors, that 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 solid foundation is there for you. And obviously, communicate and be transparent. I think that's something that's really important I took away from this. If you want to continue the conversation with us, feel free to follow me on Twitter. It's Sima Vasa, S-I-M-A-V-A-S-A, or find me on Facebook or LinkedIn. We'd love to hear from you. Thank you so much for joining us on the show this week and look forward to the next week. Take care. We are so glad you've joined us for the forum. Please tune in again next Tuesday at 1 p.m. Pacific Time and 4 p.m. Eastern Time with your host, Seema Vasa, on the Voice America Business Channel. Until we talk again, have a good week.